All right, this is episode 112, special episode with myself and uh, Nick Maniatis. Uh Again, if you want to stay in contact with us, you can email us at chatteringpod at gmail.com for all your questions or, I don't know, ideas, concepts. We'll be answering some listener questions right after this. And cue in. <laughs> As positive as an experience as I could have expected, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and yeah, that's been nice. And people have bought me nice presents. Some of which <laughs> did not make it to me, Nick. They what? have not made it to me. What? Noelle told me earlier, so I might, this is where we've started the interview um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> with uh, Nick. Uh, Nick. Hello. Uh, bought over some gifts uh, today and some supplies. Uh and my daughter thanks you for the Babe Ruth bar. And I was oh. like, what? What do you mean? She said, oh, thank who are you talking to, Nick? Oh, yeah. Thank Nick for the Babe Ruth bar. And I was like, what Babe Ruth bar? <laughs> and you mentioned, you also mentioned like Junior Mints. Haven't seen yeah. them. Don't know where they are. <laughs> they're, they're, they're gone as well. Happy COVID recovery to yeah. pass the time in the room to have some tastes of I the world where you can nice. still... Being nice for the whole, oh yes, family. That's and that's that's like, what I was doing. Isn't Nick lovely bringing presents for everyone else and they're eating them? <laughs> a Babe Ruth bar. I don't even know what that is. It's from the Goonies. I, I look. Can I? <laughs> that's why I bought them. Yeah, that's that's why. <laughs> uh, Eleni and I were watching the Goonies last night. Oh, put cool. that on. I, I hyped it up. We started watching it. Oh, because you, you're, um, you're watching uh, Stranger Things with her. Yep. Yeah, so I was, yeah, so I was saying that's Sean Aston. Just oh, store course. that away. Oh, and she gosh. said, "What does that mean?" And then she looked at me and was like, "Huh?" And then after I think twenty minutes, she said, "This is a bit boring. Can we stop?" And I went, "Really? Uh, okay. We'll we'll continue." It hadn't hit all of the priority I'm just stuff. Trying but to think, yeah, where does it where does it kick in? Um, yeah, like they've just realised. Let's we found they're in a, they're in the attic. We've got the treasure map. And Sean Aston's yeah, character, right. whatever his name is, when they all give up and say this is dumb, he How wraps dare you? up How the dare map. You not and I'm like, know it's about what his name is, Nick. <laughs> I... Chester, like, you know me. I'm like not it. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably that'd be up there with one of the movies I've seen the most, probably ever, because I watched it a lot as a kid. Oh, I think both my girls, we've watched it a couple of times. I think it's got, yeah. Once they get into the, start going under the uh, restaurant and start going to where Absolutely. all the booby traps are, then that's the good bit for them. But Look, at school holidays. We'll, we'll get there. I'll, yeah. I'll force it. <laughs> yeah. We'll push, yeah, we'll push through. Sit down and yeah, watch it's, this. It's important. Yeah, I saw so, it in cinema with my sister and my dad. Oh, wow. That's cool. I've still, that's still, still stuck in my mind. Yeah. Wow, that's, it was a great experience. That would have been a good one to see. Well, uh, I've, got, I've got Heather's lined up with Violet. Ooh. So, because we've said, like, she's, she's, you know, she's watched all the Stranger Things and she's, we talk about Winona and she, mm. she loved Edward Scissorhands. Her, her sister was a bit freaked out by it, but she loves it. We are, uh, first, we've, we've got two parts to this episode. Um, we are first answering some listener questions. Oh, uh, excellent. From listener Daniel, uh, who has, uh, is an ex-student of mine who we often 
spoke about music as a lot of the okay. time. Uh, he was also one of the students as well who whenever I like, if I had to do a, a thing on film techniques and I would show excerpts from all kinds of films, he would know every single film that was being shown. Like, oh, that's 2001. That's cool. I don't know. I don't know what the other ones are. The Shining. Oh, that's from The Thing. Um, all of this stuff. And I'm like, oh, cool. All right. He knows all this stuff. But he's also like yeah, a big music follower. So he's asked us some questions. And then the second part of the episode is uh, a story. And it's not my story. Uh, it's a, a story of a friend f- from Japan. So okay. for you, it'll be a friend of a friend. Uh, all right. We'll be able to tell the story and people will say that didn't happen. You go, no, it did. It happened to a friend of a friend. Um but I'm that friend and the other person is my friend. Uh, and the story is ridiculous and um, a story that when it happened was just one of the stories that just got told at every event ever in Japan, every karaoke evening, every drinking evening, someone would say, tell the story of lucky and happy. And then this guy would tell the story. And, yeah, it doesn't need embellishment. It's one of those stories where it's not like, oh, and this now we'll exaggerate this bit. It's anyway, we'll get to it. That's okay. called that's called sizzling. For those okay. Out there. So here are some questions, and they're mostly about music. Uh, and again, they're from Daniel. So thank you, Daniel. And anyone else who wants to message or message us any questions, you can email us at chatteringpod at gmail.com. So Nick, much like Disney's takeover of cinemas and streaming services, churning out the same media media for consumers to consume then get excited for the next product, do you think this is going to happen to the landscape of Sound 2, where each individual music label has their specific streaming service in order to churn out more music and heighten revenue? An interesting question. Um, no. <laughs> All right, um, moving on. No, um, it's you got to carry music around with you, right? I mean, you, okay. music everywhere, and <laughs> it's much. I, I don't know. Like you're watching your films and movies at home in one spot, right? So you might be able to set up multiple streaming things on the spot where you like watching your movies. I'm not into carrying movies around with me. I know I've got the apps on my phone and stuff, but that's I, I don't know. That's usually to pop them up and like something on there that somebody's told me about but it feels like that spotify and a couple of others um have the market and have enough things on it i can't i just can't imagine it diversifying net right now um then where we might see changes is in the payment model and that might be pushed back from artists um i just it just seems too ingrained right now to be, need another big upheaval. Um, you know, we know that Spotify and its uh, contracts that it has with labels do not benefit most artists, but artists that have managed to negotiate their contracts, say, directly with Spotify, seem to be much better off. Yeah. Um, so there's still kind of shift in t- to happen there. And then there's what? What's that other streaming service? Tidal that has high quality audio, but then high quality is, you know, I guess it depends what you're listening on and what 
what's the human ear actually capable of hearing right. um, and what type of systems do people have. So there's sort of some competition there with high-end audio and Spotify and what have you and what SoundCloud's the independent-ish one. Yeah. Um, there's a bit of Bandcamp stuff we can download separately. Um, but, you know, I, I reckon most of the kids at school still are listening through YouTube. Um, yeah, some of them have YouTube. family Spotify accounts. Yeah, or Apple Apple Music as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that yeah, that's that seems to be it. Yeah, I I can't. It, I mean, didn't didn't um, Jay Z like start his own streaming service, and that didn't. Yep. that didn't last. So he, he yeah, was what, the only what, place. What was that he, called? Oh, there you go. It's a good question. Then I don't know the answer off the top of my head. Um, but that was. You know, it was exclusive. It was the only place you could stream Jay Z's music. It is title. That is title, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then that was purchased by someone else, uh, I guess, mm. after a little while. So he probably made lots of money from a service that would be seem to be a failure um, that no one really used. And then he put all of his stuff on Spotify and Apple anyway. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't. I, I agree with you there. I don't think they're gonna. But again, we are very far removed from being experts in this field. But we're so, happy so far. But we're happy to give our so opinions. far. Okay, so this this question yeah. maybe we might again. We have no. Uh, we certainly have no uh, <laughs> ability to sound like we know what we're talking about. But uh, but we can bullshit quite well. So, do you believe that every significant musical shift? or masterpiece has been undermined by the political environment in which it was created, i.e. punk hardcore. It says here late 80s, but that could be early early 70s, late 70s, suicidal tendencies, dead Kennedys, etc. Conscious hip-hop, hip-hop music nowadays. If it wasn't for politics or rather our historical environment, would these artists be able to create what they did? Would music have changed? Mm. Mm. So, I mean... I don't know if I can reframe that question and bring it mm. back to what I usually do, something like the Beatles. Now, the Beatles in the 60s, when you track their career, did they have so many changes of style and changes of, I guess, textures of music because they led society, they started leading the community, or were they responding to what what was happening? So you know, it, it's very... I guess it's a little bit easy to retroactively attribute yeah, that's true. this, but you have to say a lot of the music that came out of England in the 80s was in direct opposition to Thatcher Brit- Thatcher's Britain yeah. in sometimes pretty overt ways. Um, so, I don't know, a bit of both? <laughs> bit of both. I mean, there's look, there's lots of political... Bands, right? There's lots of bands that are overtly political and respond to cultural change and all kinds of stuff. And then there are others that ride the wave of popularism in a wonderful way as well and don't necessarily engage with that stuff. I mean, I know I I guess I tend to be drawn to bands that are writing and responding politically, um, tend to, but that's not everything. Like, I don't think I could particularly argue the majority of the cures stuff responds to politics and no. political landscape. I don't think it does, but there are certain cultural landscape markers that appear through the cures stuff until they kind of solidify to not doing anything different. Right. <laughs> right. When, when was that? Do you reckon? When was um, that? 
um, post wild mood swings. Maybe right. blood flowers is a bit went back to the same and tried a few new things, but I don't know. I'm waiting for this new album on the horizon, hoping it'll be different to the previous two that I can't stand. Right. <laughs> Out of everything before that, that I just love. But like the cure, um, the cure itself, I th- uh, early on a punkish certainly certainly early on and there's there's literature literary references and all kinds of stuff early on yeah, and that, I, th- uh, I think their first album yeah. is the only one where i could tell when it was made you know what i mean yeah right like that, yeah that's the only one where i could i don't like if i listen to disintegration i don't know yeah. i can't listen to it and go oh this is certainly mid 90s or mid 80s or late yeah. 80s mid 80s yeah um Mid to but, late 80s. But certainly their first album, I was like, oh, right. Oh, okay. This is a, you know, yeah. I remember when you were like, oh, here's their first three albums. You gave them to me yep. and said, listen to these. That was when I was like, oh, I've never listened to these, but that first album in particular, I was like, oh, this sounds like music from that era. Until I like- love that you just said that. I don't even remember doing that. Oh. I, don't, I don't even remember giving you those albums or telling you to listen to them. Well, I know, but I listen to you, so that's what's important, <laughs> yeah. I guess, isn't it? <laughs> so that happens. I have, to, I have to bring up Radiohead, right? You have to bring up Radiohead. Okay. There's like that's that's overtly political and yeah. shifts and changes with particularly politics in England, and then European change, and then push back against technology and you know and and horrors of the modern world. I don't know. Yeah. That seems to they they seem to their ebbs and flows of how dark they are and what they're going through. But that feels, I mean, can totally retrofit that. Yeah, well. but but something like Hail to the Thief is completely oh, totally time, right? That's yeah, it, yeah. That's that's obviously taken from like George W. Bush's winning his, you know, term. Or, you yeah, know, some <laughs> would say stealing the election. Um, <laughs> and that was like definitely that's definitely, um, and a lot of their songs that are about that are about you know the believing believing in these powers that control us um, for good that are obviously, I don't know. They, I mean, they certainly weren't the first to talk about, well, how Orwellian life is becoming, yeah. but that was in yes, 2003. It's, it's far more yeah. uh, common now. But how do you explain something like in Rainbows, which um, I guess most people would, uh, uh, would say is a far more positive um, it is. album? And it was also their big um, secret release, right? Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, they pay had, what you want. That pay was what a, you that, want release. Yeah. Right? Push. Yeah. Pay, pay what you want. Push back against the companies and the labels. Um, uh, we're going to do this on our own terms, and that in itself is a bit of a push back against the constraints of the music industry at the time, and how there was that that, that real like, where do we go with the the format wars and going all digital and all that kind of stuff, and I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Positive and, because they're doing something themselves. And yeah, I don't, you have to think. Uh, I mean, there are, there was a lot of music, or there is a seems to be. Um, again, I'm no expert in this field, but there seems to be a lot of music coming out this year. Um, so you have to think from being in lockdown, people have used that to either respond to being in lockdown to write how they were feeling. Um, yes. Or they were, you know, writing to do something, I guess. Um, mm. And it, that I think what will be interesting to see is how uh, we look back and how this era is 
you know, retrofitted. Because you were saying something before, like something like grunge is a, is a perfect yeah. example of that bands became successful not in grunge, but just because they were good and people liked them. And then the music industry started signing bands who were yes. like that sound. And they yeah. like the Seattle sound mm. didn't just happen organically. It sprung up because bands like Nirvana got so big that people were like, well, let's find bands that sound like that. And so then all of a sudden you create this movement that seems like looking back, oh, there was this Gen X wave of bands that, but no, <laughs> Nirvana were huge and music companies were like, let's make more music that sounds like them or at least has the same sort of themes in their music. And now we've created mm. a movement and we can just cash in on that, which is, I guess, how music works. I'm thinking while I'm talking, yeah. just wondering what you're thinking about while you're talking. Because I'm, I'm thinking about how when I start, I, I, I'm not sure that I'm musically diverse enough to even answer with any authority. Just sitting here doubting everything that I say. Well, yeah, absolutely. That's why I don't like listening back to anything I say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, the same thing happened in hip-hop in the 90s as well. And I guess I can go back. The Grunge and 90s hip-hop are two eras of music that I didn't listen to at the time but have since gone back and you can hear it now, especially in, in like G funk in the West coast, that mid nineties sound, they're actually commenting on it. Like they actually commented on in songs that what you're listening to is G funk and that's what's popular and how awesome is it? Um, And so it's that kind of thing of like something becomes successful and then let's just find stuff that people go, Oh, I like this. So Mm. I'll, I'll like that and I'll like that and I'll keep liking it. And that usually takes a bit of time for at the time they're really popular and then they might fade away and then they'll come back because people will listen to them. People like Daniel who are like 20 will listen to artists without the context of all the other noise around it and go, you know what, this band's really, really good. Um, Or this artist is really, really good. Um, And then especially this, the people like Daniel would do, would then talk to me about like, oh, I like this band. And then you can say, well, they actually, this comes from this whole world at that time. But I guess that's that's the other thing with music and what makes music great is that it, if it's good, it tends to be cyclical. People find it. Mm. So there was something I heard on the radio last week and it was talking about uh, prevalence of of um, digging up house music samples uh, and the popularity of house coming out in some more popular dance music, electronic yeah. music. Um, and it's not like house has disappeared. I think the radio presenter at the time said it's not like house has disappeared, but people are digging through back through classic house samples and really focusing on. And that was to do with Beyonce's new song, actually. Right. Which was really, which is really interesting track to listen to. Um, I wish I had more knowledge to to develop what I just said then. Um, <laughs> do you, but that was just in response to you saying music cyclic. You know, like when it, it advanced sounded very much to me. It made, got me thinking back to house stuff that I listened to. Yeah, I mean, um, we we'd be remiss to talk about like things being cyclical if we didn't mention 
like Kate Bush running up that hill, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? They, which, is, which, is yeah. The, which is just a perfect example of a song that's been around forever and it's been covered and then it gets put on a show that lots of people are watching and then younger people who are watching are going, what's that song? That's That sounds yeah. good. And then they all find Kate Bush all at once. That seems to be the the biggest thing that's happening is that people, but the same thing happened like when I grew up and people were like, Hey, let's listen. Every party I went to for like three or four years, the Pulp Fiction soundtrack would get put on or the mm. Reservoir Dog soundtrack would get put on. Yes. Um, a lot of soundtracks, uh, uh, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels was another one. That's where I found the Stone Roses because there was a few Stone huh. Roses songs in that. And so that helps to be like, I don't know any of this music. It seems quite like disparate, and then it's mashed together in these movies that you like, and then you're like, "Cool, find the soundtrack, listen to them." I'm purposely not going to mention the songs, but you, you, but you know, in the, in the the uh, those final couple of episodes of the current season of Stranger right, Things, yes, there's some yes. interesting deployment of some other songs as well. Yeah, um, I the first thing I did after finishing was jump on Spotify and check the Spotify charts. Oh, um, right. And and I will end, I will do that again. Just in a little sure, side. I'm sure it's rocking it up the charts. Uh-huh. Mm. Yes. It's a good scene though. Made me laugh. Yeah. 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 Very, <laughs> very much so. Right. Let's, uh, we're being overt. We're, <laughs> we're being liminal. Yeah. <laughs> no subliminal now. Here we go. Yeah. Right. All right. The last question. Uh, the last question from Dan is, does music have to have an underlying, often ambiguous theme, constant or sound in order to be classed as artistically poignant, or is it mo- more rather a situation of complexity over simplicity which defines the realm of artist music? He always uses too many words, Dan. I, I told you this when you wrote essays. Just, man, too many words. Uh, so, the more, so, so artistic music is more complex? Yes. Is artistic music more complex? Yeah. And no. More, like, uh, does it have to, I guess, to be classic you know, or artistic, does it have to be poignant as well? Hmm. I, I, I can jump uh, in for you, Nick, if you want. Yeah, please do. I'm um, lost. I, and I would say no. That, And not to disparage young Dan here, but I'm sure uh, at like 21, I would have been like, Absolutely. Um, like a music, the music has to be complex to be artistic, i.e. pop music sucks. Um, and the music I'm listening to is more artistically complex, therefore it's better. And people who listen to pop music, which I don't because it's cheesy and crap and commercial, um, it doesn't have, I guess, poignant, it's not poignant or it doesn't have any merit artistically, but yeah. That's changed. <laughs> I've changed that point of view. I've uh, always, I've, I've, mm. I've always listened to pop music as well as music that I thought was better than other music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I've, I, I listen to lots more pop music right now. I don't know if that's just because you know we're both teachers as well, so you hear new stuff and hear all kinds of things. Yeah. And. And you get exposed to all kinds of interesting things and just keeps you listening to new things a bit more. Yeah, maybe. and I think I think the idea of like something being poignant, that has to be like individual, right? Like yeah. you can't 
and you can't say that it's not poignant if someone else says it is like, I mean, you can say, I don't find it poignant, but someone else might have a lot of music getting back to stranger things, right? It has a a connector to us in a, in a different way than maybe other art forms do. You like can tag you back in time pretty quickly. You hear a song you haven't heard for a long time. You Mm. attach memory to certain songs. You might attach memories to, you know, certain experiences you've had. Yeah, you attach all these things that are attached to it. I guess maybe the older you get, the I don't know if the the weird the further back it goes, the the stronger the tie is or or the looser the ties. Again, I haven't really thought about it on those terms, but a lot of pop music from when I was a kid now I can listen to and it's nostalgic. Uh, and even music that is I would consider bad or mm. did consider bad, I can listen to now unironically and yeah. enjoy. And yeah, that's probably, the, that's probably the biggest difference. Um, I, I've had students say, or in, in the past, or at the end of a school year where students have said, you know, what's some good advice for being an adult? And I don't really have much good advice for being an adult. But one <laughs> of the things I say to them is, don't be a dick when it comes to music. That's such great advice. Because I was and other people I know have been of like, but what it comes down to is don't like, if someone gets joy out of music, why would you want them not to have that? I know. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. And I've certainly done that in the past as well. And Um, I've had, I've had students push back and uh, say, no, no, they shouldn't like that music. They shouldn't. It's terrible. They shouldn't like it. Now it's like I know what you're saying, but it's not up to you. Yes, what you're trying to do is take their joy away with something that they love, and you want them to enjoy it less. Mm. It's like they should enjoy it less. Right. Mm. Um, I've got some. I've got another comment. Okay. Just because it's me, lyrical <laughs> ly- lyrical complexity does something for me sometimes. Yeah. If it's it moving into the poetic and then, you know, that allows me an English teacher brain to go, ooh, there's something more going on here. It's not just the music. It's lyrical wordplay as well. So I am I, I'm the kind of person that that will catch me out and make me rate and rank. So just going with the that side of things. But, you know, I just sat here and thought I just went out and saw live music tonight. Yeah. Um, and I saw Australian Art Orchestra um, do a thing called Hand to Earth, and and it was people from multiple different cultures, and um, Yolmu singer and a Korean singer, and uh, someone on a trumpet with a sampler sampling the trumpet, and a bass clarinet player, um, and um, a didgeridoo, and doing all kinds of crazy, amazing things like sampling themselves while they were singing and playing that back and layering it with kinds of sounds of um, uh, Indigenous Australia plus Korean traditional music plus, like and singing and all of this weird stuff. And I would sit back and go, ooh, that, like, what do they call themselves? Australian Art Orchestra. Yeah. Um, that was pretty cool. It's pretty interesting. It wouldn't get radio play. No. It's pretty, oh, I don't know what I'm doing now. I'm talking myself into a circle. Thanks for the question. 
<laughs> yeah, I'd love question. to. You're going to get an email in response, I bet. Yeah, yeah. This it's, conversation. It is. Um. Yeah, I don't know the poignancy part that that struck me. Point. Yes. I think looking back and being like being just being a dick about music. Don't be a dick about music. Um, is I wish I yeah and because I sometimes people have done it to me. You know, like you enjoy something, and especially when I was impressionable, and they were going, "No, that sucks," and here's why. And then the next time you'd hear it, you'd like it less. Well, that's not. Don't do that. <laughs> don't make people like art less. But maybe that's yeah. As, don't maybe as English teachers, Nick. That's what <laughs> we do. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, like, I don't know. I I guess I don't know how long this will take because okay. I don't know if you'll have follow-up questions or whether okay. you'll just listen and, right. and hopefully be entertained. Um, but we'll see. All right. So I want to tell you the tale of Lucky and Happy. Um, you want me to comment while you're talking? Shall I, I try and stay silent? You can comment. Please, otherwise it'd be weird and I'll feel uncomfortable. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> um, yes, this is, again, like a, like I said at the start, uh, about our time in when we were in Japan and something that happened to a good friend of mine who I remembered today in a, in a very spooky um, coincidence. The first, must have, the second day that Jazz and I were in Japan, we had to go to a, a meeting for new teachers, teachers who had just arrived in uh, Tokyo and so we went in there and there were people from all over the world there and the guy I'm about to talk about let's call him Matt okay go, which will be weird because that's my name but anyway yeah makes it easier and I was introduced to him and as soon as I saw him I thought you look really familiar and he was like all right and he was like, oh, okay. And I said, well, I lived in England. He was English. And I said, I lived in England. You're English. Um, and he was like, where, where did you live? And I said, well, I lived in Leeds. And I, um, and yeah, that's where Jazz and I met. And he was like, oh, I'm from Stoke on Trent. And I was like, I've never been there. I don't know anything about that. And then it was a few weeks later where we were, you know, meeting up as we did it most Sunday nights for drinks and singing. And he said... So, you know, what, what did you do in, in England? And I said, well, I taught in Northampton. And, and he said, oh, I um, lived in Northampton for a little while. And I said, oh, cool. And he said, yeah, yeah. And I said, when? So 2002. And I said, that's when I was there. And he was like, oh, whereabouts? And I said, blah, I lived here. And he was like, huh? Oh, yeah. I used to live around there. And I was like, yeah, we used to live right around the corner from this pub called the White Elephant. And he was like, I went there all the time. And I was like, how about that? I said, that's where I know you're from. You're at the pub <laughs> when I was at the pub. True. True story. Isn't that weird? What? Yeah. And even weirder, or maybe not, not even weirder than that, like the week before we went to Japan, I went to Wigo's, Wigo's wife's birthday, and there was a guy there who I went to school with, Daniel, and I hadn't seen him since school. 
and we were talking and I said, what are you up to? And he said, I'm going to Japan to start teaching. And we arrived at Narita Airport at the same time. <laughs> I saw him at the airport arriving and I hadn't, like, I hadn't seen him for years. And so he was there at this uh, meeting as well. Isn't that weird? I'm, I'm doing that thing with my face where that sounds like a made-up story, but it's sounds not. Sounds like Lost, doesn't it? It's, it's, I'm looking it up on Snopes right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's, that's two weird things that happen. Isn't that strange? So how – are you – have you processed that more weirdly over time? Like, was it weirder then and crazy then, or is it as time has passed, you've um gone that was an, that was odd, that was no, unusual? I think, I think it was weird, but like that had already that kind of thing had already happened. Like, I went to England, and the Christmas of the first year I was there, me and my mate and his girlfriend, we went drove up to Newcastle on time to watch a Premier League game, and we went into the hostel. And a girl I went to school with was in checking in at the same time. Do you yeah. have more of these? Does no. each story no, no, connect to the previous one no, before no, it? No, that's about <laughs> it. Like, that's, that's about it. But I think those three things, are that kind of weird happenstance. Yeah. But that first one was like, and my reaction to the first one, walking into the hostel and seeing Philippa, was just like, oh, it's Philippa Murphy. Hello. <laughs> And she was like, hello. And then how weird is that? And, like, we went to the same school, but we also lived, grew up in the same, like, part of the Central Coast as well. It's all very strange. So that was really weird. I, I don't know which is the weird, which was the weirder. I think seeing a guy who I hadn't seen since school who was going to Japan and we arrived on this, literally, yes. like, you know, half an hour difference and caught the same bus to wherever. <laughs> was really weird that was really strange do you i just I, I it gets me thinking about how um humans aren't good at probability right and numbers it makes me you know like we get these kinds of things are really fascinating because you think they would never happen yeah but but this is where listeners would come in handy okay surely there's more stories yeah, and they absolutely. could email. They could email their coincidence, cool yeah, stories crazy, in crazy, weird coincidences. Crazy, weird you know? coincidences, or this could be a flop of a, an idea, and nobody will email after this. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm trying Either to think way, if I've got interested. any. Yeah, I'm interested. I'm trying to think if I've. Yeah, I, I, I would assume if I had anything that interesting, I would remember it instantly. Yeah, but that was pretty. That was three pretty weird. Yeah, that's things. like a, yeah, across the other side of the world stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's to be in fun. another country and then see someone who used to drink in the same pub as you, that's yeah. probably the most weird. So that storytelling reminds me of a past episode <laughs> where two two past episodes. Remember when we said this is, might be a real short episode? <laughs> yeah, no, but it was you and Alison talking <laughs> about friends and chatting and having stories to tell to people. Yeah. And we go and you talking about having stories to tell and getting the guest on whose name I can't remember to tell a story. Yeah, Craig. Yeah. Stories, yeah. Yeah. And that feels like a story that you deploy as a story. Right. Yeah, or absolutely. used to. But I haven't heard it before. You haven't told me. I think it comes up, it pops into my head if we're doing weird, if someone 
we're doing a what right. coincidences are, or someone yes. mentions like a weird coincidence that happened to them, and then it pops into my head. Like again, it's like one of those things. Like you're right, sitting around a table at a pub, you think that's a weird coincidence. This is what <laughs> happened to me. But the story I'm about to tell you, I haven't really told anyone. Okay, I've certainly never told it on this podcast or any other podcast, and I think it's because it doesn't belong to me. But it happened so long ago. I've been waiting for someone to. When it got passed around, people would say, someone needs to write this down. Someone needs to write this or tell it or something like that. But again, it's not my story. Anyway, so here's what happens in Japan if you do something stupid that's a petty crime. So in Australia, I don't know what happens, but if you get drunk and you go into a 7-Eleven and you steal a chocolate and you run away screaming into the night, um, which I've never done, then that's probably the end of the story. In Japan, uh, a couple of my friends, I just need to tell you in way of working out the context here, a couple of my friends were drunk in the city in Tokyo and one of them, for some reason, stole like a $3 makeup kit or puff thing for their face and stole it. And... The police were just outside the 7-Eleven and were alerted to the fact that they stole it. And the police grabbed him and his friend and put them in jail for a week. Okay. They put put them in jail with no information, no like one phone call. And the only way they got out was that people knew that it happened and were able to contact their workplace and the workplace had to go and vouch for them. And that got them released. One of the one who stole it was in for seven, maybe seven to ten days, and the other one was in there for like three days. And he said, "Again, nothing funny to report. That you literally just sat in a room, in a in a kind of cell, not not in a threatening place, but that's all he did. They, you just sat there, and they gave you a couple of meals, and they didn't talk to you, and they didn't tell you anything. That's what happens. Very that's tough true. on crime in Japan. Still have the death penalty." As far as I know, they did certainly when I was there. It's not really spoken about. It's never really debated. It was never any, I never heard anyone in Japan actually talk about like, well, we have the death penalty and we shouldn't or never even like a, an argument about it. Anyway, that's why I need to tell you that because it's quite punitive as you can imagine. Yeah. So this story is foolish and serious at the same time. So where we used to go and sing karaoke there were two of these little dog statues, right? They were, I don't know, how big? Um, like a waste paper. Waste paper? Who uses that term? A bin. I knew exactly what you, but yeah. Oh, a waste paper yeah. bin size. Yeah. Little figurines, um, plastic, gaudy, golden, and red. And there were two dogs. One was called Lucky. One was called Happy. That was... Why? In Japan, we don't ask these questions. We go, cool, it's lucky and happy. We love lucky and happy. Anyway, this guy says when he's drunk, I'm going to steal both of these and I'm going to have them in my house because that would be cool. So he picks up Lucky and he puts it under his arm and he takes it home and that's where it stays. And everyone has a jolly old time. And if you go over to his house, there's Lucky. And so people start saying, oh, you've got Lucky. You, when, when are you going to get happy? And he's like, well, well, let's go to karaoke and we'll get happy. So then they go and they go and 
he picks up Happy and puts it under his arm and he walks outside. And within about 50 metres of the place, there's like five police hanging out. The owner comes running out of the karaoke booth, pointing to him. He, this guy, by the way, was 6'4". Okay. So very easy to spot. Uh, and yes pointing to him and the police instantly grab him and as I said before go and take him into jail I'm not responding much to this stuff I'm like processing so his mate who he lives with freaks out okay (laughs) completely freaks out goes home and thinks they've got my mate and they've got happy, and he's going to tell them <laughs> that Lucky is here, and then they're going to come here and arrest me. So I don't want that to happen. So he gets his Japanese mate the next day, the next night. <clears throat> what would you do in that situation, Nick? Let me what, put it what? to you that way. Oh, that's... I'd be paralyzed with fear and not able to do anything. I'd be staring at that other dog, wondering what to do with yes, it until it the mo- door gets beaten down. If and it was then a movie, I would. There would be a slow close up on you yep. and a slow close up on the dog, just getting more and more intense. Maybe a heartbeat over the top of it. So, <laughs> what, this, what they decide to do is drive out into the forest. And bury it. What? (laughs) (laughs) So they get in his Japanese friend's car and they drive out out to the, I don't know, what can only be described as like the countryside. Yeah. Um, Even though it's, we, we live just outside Tokyo, but it's not that far to go into like, if you've seen the movie Totoro. Yep. That we lived in that area, that area of Japan. That's oh, okay. Built up now, but it's yeah. not. You don't have to go that far to get to. Yeah, sure. Quite nice pastoral scene. Anyway, so they drive out there, and uh, with a shovel, to dig a grave and put a plastic dog into it, right? But <clears throat> while they're doing that, it's in the middle of a storm. Now, as the story gets told, it was in the middle of a typhoon. I don't know if that's just done for effect, but anyway, it's just a shitload of rain. So in the middle of a, of a rainstorm, they dig, they drive out to this place, just drive off the road, not very far. And then dig a hole, put the dog, put the dog in the hole and then fill it back up again. Now, because it's been, sorry, you're about to say something. Okay. Sorry. That now I'm I'm in the what would I do thing, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm like, now, do I want to memorize where this is buried mm-hmm. in case I need to find it again? Or do I not want to memorize so I can never find it again? Right. And I don't know. That go on. Be- <laughs> go on. That may become apparent which one is which as the story <laughs> goes on. But yeah, again. It's like a movie, except the stakes are really low. It's not a person that you've buried in the woods <laughs> that you're going to drive by again one day and go, oh, my. Every time I drive past this bit, I remember this. Anyway, so because it's been raining <laughs> so heavily, the car is now bogged. 
on. <laughs> That's terrible. So his Japanese friend, again, it's always helpful to have a Japanese friend when you live in Japan. He calls roadside assistance, whatever that is. I was in a car maybe twice in Japan. I don't know anything about roadside assistance in Japan and how it works. They call roadside assistance and they come out and they, I don't know, tow them out, off, get them unbogged, and then they drive home. <clears throat> Again, probably feeling worse than they did uh, when they left. So a number of days go by and this guy, not in jail, has to go and do his job being a respect- yeah. respectable teacher and wearing his suit all the while, the telltale heart of of the dog (laughs) in the back of his mind. Um, And then eventually, like I said, somehow they get the company to go and see this guy who's in jail and work out what's happening. So this guy's teaching in class now. It's like four days later. And his manager at the end of the lesson comes and gets him and says, you have to go to the police station with the area manager. And he's like, oh, okay. This is come to. So they go uh, and they go to the police station. There's a lot of talking Japanese that he barely understands. Yes, he understands the word dog. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> There's a few things about dog. Lucky, happy, these names get mentioned. And so blah, blah, blah. And he says, what's going on? And they say, they want you to go and talk to the other guy. So the guy who's in jail. And so he goes to see him and he said it was like Kurtz in like <laughs> Apocalypse Now. That's great. He's just sitting in the middle of this room, which he's been there for, I don't know, five, six days, not knowing when he's getting out or anything like that. And he's, he sits down with him and his friend says, where is Lucky? And he immediately goes, this this is being recorded or like this is a sting off right they're gonna come and arrest me and he says oh i don't know what you're talking about and he's like where is lucky and he's like what uh I, what do you mean i don't know and he's like where the fuck is the dog they will not let me out unless you bring back the other dog <laughs> And that's where it would be good to know exactly where you buried the dog. <laughs> so. Wow. Yep. He said it was that intense. Like, obviously, you've been, you've been in there five, six days, and they go, yeah, we'll let you go. Your friend just has to bring back the dog. The other dog will be like, <laughs> Okay. So he's like, uh, and they're like, where is it? Just go home and get it. And he's like, yes. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so he's like, oh, okay. And so they let him leave and he goes home and he sits down and stares at the wall and thinks, what, what, how, well, I don't know where we buried this dog in the middle of the storm and, I don't know. So he rings his Japanese friend and he's like, we have to go back. We have to go back. Let's go back. I go back. What? <laughs> we got to go back and get the dog. And he's like, I, I don't know where we buried the dog. 
like maybe we could anyway so they're thinking and thinking and his mate was just very smart and was like i bet the roadside assistance yeah they'll know exactly where it is it'll be a gps or something exactly this is 2006 yeah they they are able to they'll have some kind of thing that said we needed to be picked up at this exact spot so they ring the tow truck company or the whatever company it was they say uh yeah you came and got us um (laughs) the other day uh this is the beauty of a lot of Japanese people not asking questions because he said, he just literally said, yeah, you know where you took us, uh, picked us up the other day. Yeah. We need to go back there. Can you take us? And the guy was like, sure, this is how much it'll cost. And he's like, fine. So they just follow, follow this guy out in his car. And then the guy leaves. They look around for a while, still not easy to find, dig a few holes here and there. And then they manage to find the spot where they dug up the dog, <laughs> dig it up, take it home, hose it off, <laughs> take it to the police station, and they release the guy. And that is the story of Lucky and Happy. <laughs> that is outrageous. Isn't it? That is... Isn't that the stupidest story you've ever heard? That's so fantastic. I know. It's, I would never get myself in a situation like that. Absolutely not. Never. Now, <laughs> I think I would have immediately taken the other dog back. Um, that's that's how I would have. Yeah. yeah. I think that's me personally. I think I would have been like, they, they're going to turn up here. You know what? Let's cut it off at the... <laughs> at the source and I'll take it either back to the karaoke place or back or to the police and probably to the karaoke place and say, here's your dog back. Sorry. And just yeah, <laughs> hope that's all it took. I, I certainly wouldn't have said, let's go and bury it. <laughs> I, I would have, I know I would have waited too long to do anything. I wouldn't have buried it, but I would have still been staring at it six days later. <laughs> I'd be every, everything I did. I'd be teaching, thinking about it, sitting there. Yeah, that's what I mean. At I home, think it would be there, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. And oh, <laughs> that was it. Stresses me out thinking about being in that situation. So stressful. So stressful. So, so many stressful parts. Did that, so did um, did they learn anything from this? Is this a teachable moment? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I would hope so. I know the, the the people I spoke to at the start, the the two that the one went to jail for, you know, taking yeah. three dollar thing. I know he got out of jail and went back to Australia like a week later. I think that was the thinking he did in jail was like right. what are you what are you doing with your life here? This is what <laughs> it's led to. Need to maybe get your life in order. And he went home. Um, I don't know if this other guy did. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it was a teachable moment. <laughs> Maybe. I don't I really don't know. I, I want to know more about locking people up about <clears throat> Yeah, without any kind of recourse or anything like that. It's like a kind of really interesting psychological way to you don't have the harm of being locked up for life, but it's like the pull 
that that polite treatment and meals and yeah all of that kind of stuff just messing with your head yeah just might like just be i just might be served three meals for the rest of my life yeah i might just be here forever like the first day you'd be like well you know i'll, I'll be here today someone yeah. come and get me today no nope. no okay hmm. can't call can i call anyone no huh that's a different system i wasn't prepared for <laughs> I wasn't prepared for people needing to find me. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the only reason why, like, the company found out was they didn't show up for work, which is yeah. usually, like, that's that's the thing. This is a company that if you turned up, like, two minutes late for work, then they docked you half your day's pay. Right. Like, which I, I think is pretty standard in Japan, um, which happened to me because I was reading a book on the train. I missed <laughs> my stop, stupid, interesting book. Yeah, where I missed the stop and then I had to get off to the next one and come back and that's a whole other annoyance of because the trains in Japan are so um, functional and they're always on time Yep, that you just catch a train making sure you get to work like two minutes before your work starts. So that's the thing. If you miss the train, then you're late for work. There's no like, oh, well, uh, I still have time. You're just always late for work because yes. trains are never late. And if they are late and it's the, tra- the the actual company, the train's fault, then they give you a card to take to your work and say, I am late because the trains were late. That's nice. Yeah, it's because everyone gets docked pay if they don't turn <laughs> up. So, uh, you know, wow. you, so you can't go to work and say, I was late because the train was late. They'll say, well, where is your pass that, that's something you learn very quickly if you're a late person in japan is when you turn up for work and hope i'll oh, just tell them the train was late and they go no no you get a little yellow card that you give us and then we don't dock you your pay <laughs> oh okay i didn't see him oh no sorry that's not how it works there is always someone there <laughs> wow yeah so that's the story of lucky and happy and that's it <laughs> 